You know, I've been around a long time. I know how hard this is. From the political science department at UW-Madison. Am I exasperated? Absolutely, I'm exasperated. I'm Adam Wigger. This country's gone through tough times before, and we're going to do it again. And I'm Sam Beisman. This is more work than in my previous life. I thought it would be easier. And this is 1050 Bascom. Today on 1050 Bascom, we are excited to have Badger alumni Jamal Habibi, who was just recently appointed by President Biden to the Chief of Staff of the Rural Housing Service at the U.S. Department of Agriculture. Jamal is a 2011 Badger grad who majored in political science and languages and cultures of Asia. Prior to his current position, Jamal worked as a senior associate at the Opportunity Finance Network and held executive positions at Discovery Inc., and the U.S. Department of Treasury. We'll ask Jabal about his time on campus and to share with us more about his new leadership role at the Department of Ag. There's so much to talk about, so let's dive right in. First things first, thank you so much for joining us today, Jamal. So glad to be here with my alma mater and, and take a break from our quite busy schedule in Washington, D.C. Yeah, uh, I am really excited to talk with you about your new position. Uh, in the administration at the Department of Agriculture. But before we get into that, do you want to give the listeners a little bit of a background on you and kind of describe your, we we call it here, your professional narrative, kind of like how you got to where you are today? Yeah, sure. So, um, you know, I majored in political science and languages, cultures of Asia at Wisconsin. Uh, had always been interested in policy since I was a kid. My my dad is an immigrant from Iran. My mom was a nurse in the U.S. Navy, and I grew up in a really diverse community in Oakland, California. So I think you know all of these components really led me uh, to majoring in those two majors at at UW. And so at when I graduated in December 2011, I had a chance to go down to Miami, Florida, uh, to join the 2012 Obama campaign. And I remember the options were Dubuque, Iowa, Lansing, Michigan, and Miami, Florida. Uh, for where I would go and organize uh, on the campaign. And Miami was an easy choice after spending four years in the frozen tundra. Uh, So I was a field organizer down there in 2012, knocking doors, registering voters. And our job, this was a predominantly Democratic area in North Miami that I was organizing. Um, You know, our job was not to convince folks to vote for President Obama, but was actually turning them out on election day. Um, So after 11 months of hard work, Uh, We ended up winning the election and we won Florida by uh, less than 1% of the vote. I think that's uh, the last time the Democrats had won Florida statewide. So I made my way up to D.C. in early 2013, um, thinking a a job would be handed to me for my hard work on the campaign. But uh, it was it was difficult, um, you know, because you're competing with so many other talented intro level staffers who graduated from Michigan or Texas or Berkeley. So that's really, you know, it took me about six or seven months of hard networking, paid internships, temporary jobs, uh, but was finally able to get an offer in the Obama administration working at Department of Agriculture. Uh, So I started off as an assistant to uh, the number three, the undersecretary there, getting his coffee, writing his talking points, making sure that attendees were on time for his meetings. And so that was a great step for me in getting into government, getting into an intro level policy role. 
And I was there for three years at Department of Agriculture from 2013 to 2016. Uh, and towards the end of that time, I had done a lot of stakeholder outreach and communication with rural stakeholders on President Obama's trade policies, rural trade policies, and kind of convincing rural stakeholders to support um, what was at the time the Trans-Pacific Partnership. So while I was kind of in the middle of that, the Treasury, Department of Treasury reached out to me uh, for the final year of the Obama administration and wanted me to come over there to be a uh, director of outreach for President Obama's retirement program, uh, which was a total 180 uh, from my work at Department of Agriculture. Uh, so while I was there, I built several private partnerships to promote President Obama's um, retirement initiative. I built several intergovernmental partnerships as well. So I was only at Treasury for a year from 2016 to 2017. Uh, and then you know, once President Trump uh, ended up winning, uh, we were all asked to resign all of the Obama political appointees. And uh, I spent uh, a few months unemployed looking for uh, work out there. I, I remember going to a coffee shop and seeing several other appointees, you know, and they'd say, hey, Jamal from Agriculture and Treasury. And I'd say, hey, you know, Jim from, you know, Justice. And, they, you know, uh, it was a tough time, uh, you know, for appointees finding work but ended up working for a couple of years in the private and nonprofit sectors, worked for Discovery Channel doing telecommunications policy, then moved to the National Parent Teachers Association um, doing uh, education policy, and then found my way to um, this field of community development financial institutions or mission-driven lenders uh, trying to provide small business loans and affordable housing loans in rural America. Uh, and, uh, and that's where I had been for the past two years and which kind of helped set me up for this role. Um, I helped lead housing and appropriations policy for these CDFIs, these community development financial institutions um, from 2019 through 2021. And you know, having that experience at agriculture from the second Obama term, coupled with my housing policy background, kind of led the way to, uh, to this role. So... Let any campaign, presidential campaign interested in winning in 2024 be known. If you want to win Florida, this is the guy to call. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I want to ask and get into a bit more about your role and position in the Rural Housing Service. But before we do that, just so we and all of our listeners are on the same page, could you tell us a bit more about the mission and goals of the Rural Housing Service? Yeah, of course. So not a lot of people know that, you know, Department of Agriculture is the second largest agency next to Department of Defense. And there's so many components to it. Um, you know, Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program is within Department of Ag. You've got Animal Plant Health Inspection Service. You've got U.S. Forest Service. And you've got a rural housing portfolio. Um, back in kind of the, I think it was Late 40s, early 50s, you know, Department of Agriculture saw the need for housing in rural America. And so the Rural Housing Service was established to provide um, home ownership loans, to provide rental assistance um, to multifamily properties, and to also provide financing for community facilities in rural communities. So rural hospitals, uh, rural schools, healthcare centers, uh, police stations, fire stations. So USDA actually acts as a lender, um, a direct lender to single family, multifamily and uh, community facilities. And that's kind of the void or that 
USDA fills, HUD predominantly is focused traditionally on urban and suburban, whereas USDA focuses on those smaller rural communities uh, because access to housing, homeownership, rental assistance in very distressed and lower income communities was lacking. So we try to work to kind of fill that void. Now kind of getting into your role as chief of staff, what does a typical day look like for you? And, you know, I'm thinking of this particularly in uh, the context of the pandemic and Maybe you can also say what you hope a typical workday will look like once you guys get back in person. <laughs> well, you know, it, it, the hours, you know, I would say I probably have been working 10 to 12 hours a day. And, you know, this isn't to, you know, make myself seem in, uh, incredible, but, you know, we, we want to work around the clock to ensure that our ro- recovery um, to COVID and the economy is robust. Um, you know, the way that all of the political appointees have been looking at every day from the beginning is how do we implement President Biden's priorities into the agency that we're serving? Uh, President Biden has four key priorities. There's uh, tackling COVID-19, getting the economy back on track, addressing uh, racial inequality and racial inequities in America, and climate change. Um, so that's kind of the way that I envision my day and seeing you know, what new policies can we put push through, what current programs can be tweaked uh, to support us, what new programs should we be advocating for on, uh, and pushing for for potentially Congress to legislate on, or are there rules or regulations that we can change um, to support the policies? This is in addition to, uh, you know, making sure that the, the gears are already running within the agency for the administrative budget, um, you know, IT projects, ensuring that staff is, um, you know, field offices are adequately staffed. That's another component of this too, is, you know, there are rural development um, and rural housing service staff all around America um, serving in their local communities. Um, one of the things we've tried to address is the recent disaster crisis in Texas and how, can our staff on the ground uh, robustly support, um, you know, Texas homeowners um, and tenants who have been negatively impacted? So, you know, from uh, crises um, to just kind of your average run-of-the-mill daily processes for IT systems and um, other items that need to be signed off on, it's a bunch of different things. Uh, in addition to responding to inquiries from the press, from the White House, from the secretary's office. Um, so it's a it's definitely a big communication uh, job, but it's been um, it's been really great. Uh, as chief of staff, you kind of serve as the gatekeeper. Who needs to see what and when, and and figuring out what levels you know does that information need to transfer to? You know, can I address it myself? Do I need it, it to be signed off on by the secretary? Does the White House need to see it? Um, so trying to manage that um, for all of the the kind of items that come my way is a big part of the job. With that being said, one thing that we talk about a lot on this podcast and these career conversations is the difference between working in the private sector versus the public sector and the decision for students in making that choice, as this is something that's on a lot of students and especially political scientists' minds. And you've had experience in both of these sectors, considering both of your time, your time at both the USDA and also uh, Discovery Inc. So we're looking for your advice to students who might be interested 
in going into, say, a public policy arena versus those who might be more interested in the business or private sector route? First, are these fundamentally different types of jobs to begin with? Or, uh, and if so, what do you think, how do you think students should make the decision on which one to prioritize or to approach? That's a really good question, Sam. And I think it's a little bit of both. So, you know, there are a lot of nonprofits, for example, out there who are quite aligned with certain party policymakers. And so if you, you know, you, you're, you sometimes are working you know, hand in hand with the congressional office to push on a specific issue. Whereas, you know, there might be a corporate entity that, um, you know, is not in agreement with policymakers. And so that's kind of where the friction is. But my advice to UW students is go work for the entity that you believe in and that your policies align with. Take this, for example, is you look at the uh, the labor discussion that's being had in California right now between um, you know the the government of California, the, the state government, and Uber and Lyft and DoorDash on the minimum wage issues and classifying drivers as employees versus contractors. And I think figuring out you know what side of the policy issue you stand on, I think, will be helpful. One of the flags is that. If you do take a private or nonprofit job, you know, asking yourselves the question, will I have to register as a lobbyist? Are there, you know, if I do, does will it jeopardize my chances to go into the public sector? So especially earlier in your career, make sure you try to ask those questions when job opportunities come up um, to make sure that what you're doing, you really believe in and that down the road, it might not um, hurt you for future opportunities. Correct me if I'm wrong, but you have made it this far with only a bachelor's or, you know, not only a bachelor's, but with a bachelor's. <laughs> I'm asking that because a lot of students are wondering like, oh, do I need a master's? Do I need like a further technical degree to go on and do some of the uh, policy jobs that you have gone on to do and, you know, to take on a position like chief of staff? So, um, yeah, what is what has your experience been with with that aspect? Yeah, I think there's a threshold out there that in my early mid 20s having that you know i had been passed up for jobs in my probably early mid 20s over candidates who had a master's degree who maybe had an mpp or an mpa but at this point in my career i think that at some points that your experience can outweigh in some cases a master's degree for example i know people who worked their way up on Capitol Hill from staff assistant to legislative director, um, and then you know, have moved up the chain where they have not gotten a master's and they're you know, being offered positions from you know, in high government offices or Fortune 500 companies. So to be honest, I, you know, I think, I think it'll, it could help in the early and mid 20s range. Um, I think a business and law degree are always helpful, no matter what stage in your career. But I do think that, you know, ha getting having an MPP or MPA, those are best to be had maybe in the earlier or mid 20s stages, because I think there is the opportunity to build up your professional resume and go that route. And then, you know, to the point where you'll have 10 years of experience where that master's degree um, really doesn't play 
that much of a role unless it's a business degree or a, or a law degree. But then again, you know, for uh, you know, we've seen uh, Ambassador uh, Linda Thomas Greenfield who has an MPA from Wisconsin. So I guess that's a rebuttal to to my position. But I think it depends also on foreign policy. That actually makes me think in the foreign policy, foreign affairs, international development realm. I do think that having a master's degree is a lot more beneficial than a domestic policy um, thing because I've heard of a lot of think tanks and a lot of private entities that um, have a requirement for a master's uh, that's internationally focused. So it, I would, you know, I think that's that's the difference there. And since I've focused on mostly domestic policy, it hasn't been so you know so much of a requirement. Not backtracking to your time here at UW, especially in the context of um, preparing for your first job post-grad, what were some of the things that you found really helpful, like the organizations, the internships, the activities that you participated in uh, that really set you up for success uh, in your post-grad life? You know, I I was actually quite late to the game on this. Um, I had one internship going into my senior year um, organizing on a San Francisco mayoral race. Um, you know, I was, I was an athlete at UW. I was on the men's soccer team. So that kind of kept me busy throughout the summer, um, and kind of arrived late to the internship game. Um, and, but the, my summer organizing in San Francisco, I was able to build a lot of great connections, particularly with, um, staff on that campaign that had worked on the Obama 08 campaign that helped, you know, put in, uh, good words or recommendations with the 2012 campaign. So I think, you know, internships generally can help in, in networking. Um, but it's, it's tough. Uh, you know, I, I think I only had unpaid internship opportunities in New York and in Washington, DC, once I graduated from UW and, um, those are very costly cities. So I think, you know, my option, and I'm so glad that I went for it, was joining a, a campaign as as a field organizer, paid position. Uh, campaigns are a great way to um, get paid in many cases, but also, um, you know, get your foot in the door, um, especially if that that candidate does well. With that being said, was there anything that you're finding in the job market or now in your professional life that you feel like your time at UW Madison didn't prepare for? Or in other words, some advice that you wish you had been given during your college years that would have helped you better prepare for the job market or your professional life? Yeah, you know, I think I probably would have, you know, started maybe my sophomore or junior year really trying to further my professional background. Um, you know, it's so competitive out there with all of the other talented 20 to 22 year olds who are looking to get into a public policy career? How do you get your foot in the door? Um, something that I wish I would have applied for or done would be maybe getting an internship with uh, the local mayor in Madison or a local congressperson and trying to pursue that route. Um, but aside from that, you know, I, I have no regrets. I think that, you know, there are, there are tough times some challenging times, you know, I, between January to August of 2013, I was essentially paycheck to paycheck, um, looking for temporary jobs here and there. Um, and you just, you know, you have to be willing to, you know, have the tough skin to see all of those rejection letters for jobs and, um, 
you know, uh, you, you have to be willing to stick it out because like I said, it's, it's tough, but it's important to have those kind of ups and downs um, throughout your career because I think it really, um, you know, helps you, uh, you know, thicken your skin um, and deal with, you know, rejection because you are going to eventually get, you know, rejected from certain jobs, but, you know, you got you to gotta keep plugging. So, you know, in the end, I look at them as all positive uh, experiences. What are some things that you think graduates can do to distinguish themselves from um, other graduates to make themselves, you know, more, uh, more marketable on the job market? Yeah, of course. I think, I think networking is incredibly important uh, via LinkedIn, you know, messaging people from, you know, who are in policy, who went to your high school, messaging people who are in policy, who went to your university and just saying, Hey, you know, I would love 10 to 15 minutes of your time to get your advice. Um, I know some people out there just go straight for the kill and say, hey, I need a job here. Can I work at your organization? Uh, but the best thing is to be humble, reach out for advice, make as, as many connections as possible because you know, in addition to getting internship experience, which is important in college to get as much as you can, having the connections in multiple areas is going to be helpful um, and being very humble um, no job is too big or too small because the more connections you make and the more check-ins you do with folks, you know, perhaps they'll say, you know what, Adam is a really great guy. He, you know, uh, was very professional when engaged with them. We've got an intro level staff assistant position here or a position here. I'll forward his resume on. So I really recommend that, um, you know, to UW students, don't be shy reach out to people um, on LinkedIn who are interesting and just ask them for 10 to 15 minutes of, of their time um, and trying to also, um, are there free classes that you can take or different subject matters um, that you can take as well? I think something that helped me in, in um, obtaining this role is that I have specific experience on working on affordable housing loans in rural America. So if there's a specific Thing that you can become an expert on, um, you know, that, that helps um, enhance your, your chances of getting a certain role by having certain expertise outside of the realm that many other people might not have. I want to kind of hone in a little bit on something that you mentioned just at the end there, in that a lot of students often ask what aspects of their LNS coursework isn't covering enough or what might be missing in the typical LNS, say, diploma or ge general pattern of coursework. And you mentioned there that one beneficial supplement might be trying to find some kind of area of expertise that you can either develop with, say, certain other classes that you can find, or maybe even if students are able to budget their time accordingly at the UW, they could achieve with their classes there. But are there any areas of study or specific skills in general that you feel like an LNS coursework might not cover? Uh, specifically, we get a lot of questions about statistics or uh, using Excel or other kinds of data management software or approaches. What, what do you think? Yeah, I think learn, even learning basic tool sets of properly, you know, on maybe some management courses, I think, um, 
you know, policy leaders have to manage a wide variety of things, policy implementation, uh, budget management, um, proper communication. I think certain things like that, even, even you know, as memo writing, for example, I remember even in the, the early days of writing memos, you know, I had a tough time doing that because I hadn't done it before. So if there are any types of classes that can be offered, um, you know, from a professional sense of writing memos, best ways on communicating effectively in the work environment, um, even best ways to appropriately network. I think those um, will be will be helpful. Even you know some types of uh, budget classes. You know, is there um, you know a budget from you know the Department of Commerce and students can um, help effectively draft. Um, a working budget, um, things like that to give students more kind of real world experience um, that can help them and they can even add that to their resume. I think those would be huge resume boosters if they have those kind of um, professional working environment skill sets. This question we've been asking to all of our career conversation guests, because it's so important right now, especially as we're all working from home, how have you been navigating the work-life balance? And I know it, it can it's probably really hard in your new role as chief of staff. What are some of the strategies that you employ uh, or would like to employ maybe um, that help you maintain that kind of work-life balance? Yeah, you know, I think the first thing that sometimes we don't even think about is uh, eating healthy. You know, eating, if you, I remember I went one day where I ate um, some very, very unhealthy food, and I was not in the best mood, and my energy level wasn't high. So always remembering um, to eat healthy, I think, is so important, you know, for your brain and for your activity and um, and your your production too, and your your um, the level of work that you're able to crank out. I think that's really important. But also just finding time, you know, in the morning or in the evening to go for a walk, taking 30 minutes to go for a stroll or even a run. Um, you know, in the evening, going for a nice, uh, you know, cool, crisp run, uh, you know, to, you know, after a long day of, of work, I think is important. Um, but one other thing that I, you know, that I want to say is, you know, your, your tw 21 to 22 through 25, you know, you are going to need to put in the hours, you are need to, you know, going to need to put in the work, whether that's your schoolwork, but also in networking, in um, you know, putting in the time on those uh, those work applications. Um, you know, we you have the energy. Um, you know, I was 22 once, and putting in those hours really does help push you over um, the hurdle and and helps with those job opportunities. Is putting in that little bit of extra effort. So you know, when you're working those nine or 10 hour days, make sure to eat healthy. Make sure to get outside. You know, work hard, play hard, have a beer with friends when it's all done. But, you know, and that's what I love about being a Badger and all of the people that I've met in Washington, D.C. is everyone works hard, but, you know, we can still have a, a, a brat and a beer after, after a hard day's work. <laughs> we, we intend to maintain that tradition as hopefully soon to be alums ourselves. And then as we're kind of coming to the end of our conversation here, we want to ask you if there's anything that we should have talked about or should have asked you but didn't. Or is there just anything else that you feel like our listeners really need to know or that you'd want to reiterate? 
Yeah, you know, there's one one quick story I want to share, and I think it has a lot to do with it that would help recent graduates. You know, I remember it was the summer of 2013, and I was doing a an hourly internship, 15 bucks an hour, um, and I had taken off two hours of work uh, to go up to Capitol Hill for an interview. You know, jump on the metro, work my way through security, get up there for the meeting. Had been studying hard the night before was you know waiting for the interview and uh, the chief of staff walks in, looks at my resume. I hadn't looked at my resume before. I think it was someone else who had looked at it. And first thing she says is, you know, I don't think this role is right for you. And you know, that was really, really disheartening to, you know, uh, not get paid for a couple hours of work and to prepare and to, you know, after months of looking for a full-time job, um, you know, to have someone not even give you the chance to interview. And so, you know, it's those points where you go, you know, months without finding something that you have to be able to push a little bit further, a little bit farther. Um, and, and that's what it is. And two, three months later, I was able to land my opportunity at Department of Agriculture. So that's just some advice to undergrads is, you know, you are going to have streaks maybe even four or five months, six months, um, where you are looking for a job. But, you know, whatever you can do, lean on your friends and family to stay confident, to stay hungry, um, and just keep pushing. That is excellent advice. The last thing that we like to ask our guests, especially during these times, is um, what are you hopeful about, especially in your new job? You're helping a lot of people. What are you hopeful about with the administration? You know, I'm most hopeful about our experienced leadership in the cabinet. It is um, it is remarkable. You know, from ambas- you know our our fellow UW alumni, um, Ambassador Thomas Greenfield, uh, but also you know you look at Secretary Vilsack, our new Secretary of Agriculture. You know, he was uh, a mayor in Iowa. He was the governor of Iowa, and he was already Secretary of Agriculture for eight years. He was just confirmed 97 to three. Um, and we're so excited because we now, you know, we have that experience now in our administration, people who are experts at their trade, people that are committed to addressing um, the racial, climate, economic, and COVID crises in our country. And we are working um, around the clock to ensure um you know, that, that there is robust recovery for Americans all across the country. And I would say, you know, everyone should be hopeful because we have that talented um, and mission-driven leadership to really get us back on, on track, especially after, you know, such a dark, uh, you know, 2020 and beginning um, of 2021. So we're excited um, to get back on track and um, we're hopeful and very, very optimistic uh, for brighter days here in here in America. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us today, Jamal. And again, congratulations on this amazing new role. And if uh, there ever comes a time when we want to talk about rural housing policy, we would love to have you back on the pot. So please stay in touch. Of course, on Wisconsin. For more information about 1050 Bascom, visit polisci.wisc.edu and search for 1050 Bascom. 1050 Bascom is edited by Adam Wigger and Sam Beisman, produced by Amy Gangle and recorded remotely for now.